The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. And loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the mouth, for he was grieved for David, because his father had disgraced him. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you're in kindergarten through fifth grade, and you would like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers in the back corner to your right. If this is your child's first time, please go with them so we can get them checked in. Good morning. My name is Mark. I'm on staff here. And it's really good to see everyone, especially when all the kids leave and there's like half the people in the room. It's great. Uh, Well, it's summer, which means in the Gregory household, we have been reading and watching a lot of Harry Potter. Yes, I'm glad this is a Harry Potter church. Uh, Not so when I was growing up. The church I was in was not a Harry Potter church. Um, (laughs) It's a very spiritual thing to do it. Uh, And the kids are totally having nightmares because of the movies, but they still want to watch them again. Uh, And one of my favorite books is the sixth book. It's The Half-Blood Prince. And I love it because you get to see what makes the villain really tick. You got to kind of see how Lord Voldemort kind of came to be. Uh, And J.K. Rowling, the author who claims to be a Christian, Uh, One of the main reasons she gives as to why he became such a monster is that he didn't have any friends. And he never let anybody in. He always kind of kept people at a distance. And I want to read you what Dumbledore, he's the old wise mentor, what he says to Harry. He says, Lord Voldemort has never had a friend, nor do I believe that he has ever wanted one. He has manipulated people, he has charmed people, and he has convinced people that they are his friends, but he has no friends. Uh, and because Voldemort, who started off as this charming, handsome man, Tom Riddle, uh, because he's isolated himself and he's never let people in, he's never pursued friendships, he never had anyone kind of check him, say, hey, it might not be a good thing to murder 
non-magical people. <laughs> like he never had someone tell him he was wrong. Uh, and the point of the books is the same point that the Bible's gonna make over and over, is that friendship is vital to your flourishing as a human being. Right? Without it, you will wither, and if you intentionally avoid it, uh, you'll turn into something worse altogether. And I know there's probably a lot of people here this morning who you don't feel like you have many close friends. Uh, you really want a friend or two, that's different than this, right? And I would say that you are in exactly the place that you need to be to find some good friends. So if you play an instrument, join the band. If you like coffee, go serve coffee to people. Jump in somewhere, help people park out there. I think you'll find a good friend or two along the way. Uh, but there's a difference in wanting friends and having a hard time finding them. Maybe you move to a new city or you change schools or your friend group has just changed or for whatever reason, there's a difference in wanting them and not having them and just avoiding close friendships altogether. And I'll say, I, I hope that a whole sermon that focuses on friendship doesn't put that burden heavier on you than it was. Uh, my hope is that in the passage we read this morning, you'll see friendship as just this beautiful gift that it is and you'll pursue it relentlessly. Uh, as we just read from several passages in 1 Samuel, trying to get the gist of David and Jonathan's friendship, you should go back and read it in full. But here's what I want you to keep in mind. Jonathan's friendship literally saved David's life. Like David would have died several times over if he had not been friends with Jonathan. Uh, we see in Jonathan a man who gives up everything to befriend David. And what I want to pitch at you is that friendship is really at the heart of Christianity. Like we're not going to be able to understand the gospel if we don't get friendship. I hope that doesn't sound too Sesame Street for you. Uh, but let me pray and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true and you give it to us because you love us and you want us to know you. And so would you help us to see the beauty of friendship? Help us to see uh, Jesus, our true and ultimate friend. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So I know we're in a series about David this summer, but Jonathan is the real hero in this passage. Uh, because if Jonathan is Saul's son and Saul is the king of Israel, who's going to be the next king after Saul dies? Jonathan, right? And both Jonathan and Saul know that God has anointed David to be the next king of Israel, and yet they react in very different ways, don't they? Um, as soon as David started to be loved and adored by everybody else, Saul just wants to kill David. He just wants to take him out. He spends the rest of his life trying to kill him. Uh, Jonathan, on the other hand, he knows that God has set David apart to be the king. David is a threat to everybody in Saul's family, and yet what does Jonathan do? He loves him, right? Chapter 18, verse 1 says, The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And for the passages we just read, we saw Jonathan going out of his way, risking death to save David, to protect him. In chapter 19, Jonathan persuades Saul not to kill David, that doesn't last very long because the next chapter, Saul throws a spear at Jonathan, uh, his own son. And this is what Saul says to Jonathan after he helps David escape. This is chapter 20. He says, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. He's talking about his wife, but okay. Uh, he says, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse, that's David, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And then Jonathan essentially says to Saul, what's he ever done to you? And Saul throws a spear at him, always with a spear. He throws a lot of spears at these guys. Um, but did you catch the point that Saul was making? He says, look, people love David. God loves David. God has anointed David to be the next king of Israel. If you support David, that means you won't be king. 
Don't you want all this power and authority and wealth and anything you could ever want? Uh, But Jonathan continues to help David, and we read the end of chapter 20. Jonathan kind of signals to David with his arrows that it's not safe for him. And we didn't read this, but in chapter 23, we see them making another covenant of friendship. They kind of renew their covenant of friendship. And it's the last time that David and Jonathan are going to see each other. Uh, Because after this, Jonathan follows Saul, his dad, into battle, and they all die. And that, in a nutshell, is the friendship of David and Jonathan. So why are we looking at this? What can we, what can we get out of this? Well, we said earlier that Jonathan's friendship with David saved David's life multiple times. And if you notice during the reading, it's because they made a covenant with each other. And that doesn't mean that this is like a super friendship that nobody else can attain. It just means that this is a real friendship. It's just two people committing themselves to each other in the good times and the bad times when dad is throwing spears at each other. They had a true friendship, right? where each person refused to back away from the other one, no matter what. And this is different than what I would call a lot of our consumer friendships that we have, where we like to hang out with somebody, we enjoy their company, they make us laugh, but if they ever step over a line, or they get too close, or they offend us, they say something we don't like, they point out something we're doing wrong, friendship's over. Have you experienced that? These kind of consumer friendships? Uh, You're friends with someone until it gets hard, and then you're out. And the reason it's such a big deal for Jonathan to enter into this covenant with David is that Jonathan has everything to lose. He is next in line uh, to be the king of Israel. He's the prince. And being friends with David at this point, it's suicidal. Being a friend of David makes you an enemy of King Saul. And yeah, what does the book of Proverbs say about friends? It's got a lot of good things. I think my favorite is Proverbs 18. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Friends stick, no matter what. And not only do friends stick, uh, friends make you more human. Think back to the Garden of Eden. God had created a paradise. Everything was good. There was no sin in the world. There's no brokenness. And yet there's one thing that was not good. Do you remember what it was? He said, it's not good that man should be alone. Like, do you understand what that means? God intentionally created you and me with this need for friendship, for this need for personal connection. And today, we rightfully focus on Genesis 1 and 2 about sexuality and marriage. And that's certainly what it's about. But it's also about our need for friendship and community. So what that means, and please hear this, if you're here this morning and you are lonely, it doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean you're weak and you just need to suck it up and do better. Uh, It means you're human. God created you to need people, to need relationships because you are fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. God has existed for all eternity as a trinity, which what that means is there's three persons, there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. They've always co-eternally existed, perfectly loving each other, perfectly in this community. Uh, And so what that means for Adam to be made in the image of God and for you to be made in the image of God, even though he was perfect and he was without sin, he was lonely. Adam needed a friend. And today you need friends. You were created in God's image, and therefore you need community. You need friendship. And the greatest threat to having these life-giving, lifelong relationships is what we talked about earlier. It's these, what's the word I used? (laughs) Consumer friendships. I should have written that down. Uh, Where you really enjoy being in a relationship with someone, and, and you like what you get out of it, you like going out and hanging out with them. But if it gets too intimate, you cut and run. Or maybe you just stop texting them, or you just send a text, and that's it. 
Uh, a consumer friendship looks a lot like your relationship with your internet company. Not so much in Chattanooga because EPB is awesome, but when we didn't live here, uh, our, our contract was up with, I think it was Comcast or something, and we noticed it was gonna be a lot higher and so we said, well, we, we need to re-up with this, but we're not sure. And they're like, oh, no, you can get 7 billion channels and a landline if you offer this price. <laughs> and we said, no, we don't. All we need is just internet that's not slow. Uh, and we kept pushing back, said we're going to go look somewhere else. And lo and behold, they talked to the manager, and we got a good deal. <laughs> because we're not friends with the people at Comcast, right? We didn't stay on the phone afterwards and be like, how, how are your parents? Are they doing okay? We have a consumer relationship with them, right? Maybe this makes me seem cold-hearted, but like if they're not giving us what we want, if they're not giving you what you want, you'll just go somewhere else and get it from there. Consumer friends flake out when it starts costing something or when something happens you don't like. A true friend will stick no matter what. A true friend will look at you at your worst, at your most embarrassing when you've just blown it, and instead of running, they stay committed to you. Not only is a true friend stick uh, but a true friend is going to be vulnerable. Right? Chapter 18, it talks about Jonathan's soul being knit to David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That's incredibly intimate, vulnerable language. Right? And then chapter 20 goes even further when the little boy with the arrows runs away and David knows it's not safe. They're so sad to leave each other, so they run to each other. And this is verse 41. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. How uncomfortable are you with that image right now? These two grown men weeping, hugging, kissing. Uh, now, granted, things are different culturally then um, and today. Like in the Middle East and a lot of places that aren't America, they're much more just physically intimate with each other, just in friendships. I lived in Peru for about a year after college, and it was so sweet. You'd see these two grown men walking down the street, and they just kind of have their hands on each other's shoulders. I was talking to someone, his wife lived in India, and they just, friends just kind of hold hands around there. We don't do that here, uh, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> but Paul writing Paul to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians to greet one another with a holy kiss. Would it be wise if all the staff kind of manned the doors and, like, you can't get in here unless we give you a kiss? Maybe not. Uh, maybe. Uh, you might call the cops on us. But what I want us to see here is that this utter, utter vulnerability between David and Jonathan, there's no putting a face on anything. There's no hiding. Uh, they are completely open with one another, which is why if you, in your spare time, like I do, if you read kind of critical, biblical, scholarly work, uh, where it's guys who, they have PhDs, super smart, but they, and gals, but they don't believe the Bible's true. Um, they always see something as like a sexual relationship here. They said they must be a couple because no two straight people would ever have this close of a friendship. And I think all that shows is that our culture just tends to sexualize intimacy, right? Where if two people are vulnerable and intimate with each other, affectionate, they're unafraid to completely let their guard down, then there must be something else going on there. Whatever, what, what, at, the, at the very least, what we see with David and Jonathan is a deeply intimate, vulnerable friendship. Uh, it's friendship in its purest form. And the reason it makes us so uncomfortable is because whenever you get to that point in a relationship where everybody knows everything about you, they have all the ammunition against you, that terrifies us, doesn't it? Uh, and I want to make sure I convey, like, I'm saying this, but I am horrible at this, being vulnerable and being transparent. I enjoy being the pastor, asking all the questions to you guys and kind of poking and prodding in your lives. Uh, but 
when I when I'm speaking with someone, I need to be a little more vulnerable. I've got a friend; he's like made it his life's work to ask me questions and make me more more vulnerable, and I kind of hate it. But he's a good friend who's making me into a better friend. Uh, one last thing that a true friend will do: a true friend will lovingly wound you. This is from Proverbs 27. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Again, with the kisses. Uh, But once you have been transparent with a friend, right, you've shown them your flaws, uh, only a true friend is gonna lovingly correct you. Only a true friend's gonna lovingly wound you. Um, If you're in a consumer relationship, if someone shows you their flaws, what are you gonna do? Nothing. Because you don't want that relationship to change. You like going to sports games with them. Sports games. Uh, You like going out to eat. (laughs) I do a lot of sports games, obviously. You like exercising together. You like going on walks. Uh, Your kids play really well well together. You don't want to rock that status quo, right? But a friend will wound you because they want you to grow. Have you ever had that happen to you? I mean, has anybody ever lovingly wounded you? What's your first response when that happens? It's not like, oh, thank you for pointing out my flaws. It's, I mean, your guards go up. You say, how dare you say that to me? Like, that, that hurts. I thought we were friends. But if you have an authentic relationship with that person, you know they are for you. You know they love you. They know they, you, they want you to grow. And so they're going to wound you out of kindness. Uh, maybe some of you need to be that friend who wounds somebody else. Now, if you have a, a friend who they're just stuck in something trashy, maybe they're going down the wrong path, they have self-destructive behavior, and you don't lovingly correct them, are you being a friend to them? Are you being a consumer? Are you more worried about kind of keeping things the same in your relationship because you like where they are, or are you willing to wound them so they can grow? Jonathan is the ultimate example of this, right? As we're about to see, the status quo for Jonathan would have been to stay away from David, let him die, let Saul kill him, and then you become king, right? But instead, Jonathan gives up everything so that David can be king. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about friendship, and he says that all friendships kind of start off as you look at another person, you meet them, and you say, oh, you like to do this too? Like, you love this? I thought I was the only one, right? You love Star Wars and Lord of the Rings? Me too, right? You love trail running, and uh, you like to cook and go to sports games and garden? Me too. What makes you a friend is kind of walking side by side by that person with that common goal, that common love, and you're pursuing that, but you're doing it alongside this person, growing, and so for Jonathan and David, their common love, it was God, right, and the well-being of Israel. But God had anointed David to be the next king of Israel, and because their common love was God, Jonathan was willing to give up everything to pursue God's will. So now, something that's crucial for us to get, I don't feel like we don't do a good job of this, but do you have to line up with everything and agree with everything on someone in order to be their friend? No. Otherwise, you would have no friends outside the church. And that's a bad sign. You need to have friends who you don't agree with on everything. The only way you're going to grow is if you have friends who disagree with you and you can trust them and they can speak into your life. And so I, I hope you hear this story about Jonathan and David's friendship and you just see how beautiful it is. And the reason it's so beautiful, and we already touched on this, is because it's a covenantal relationship. Jonathan is anything but a consumer in his friendship with David. If Jonathan were just a consumer, he would have been on his father's side, Saul, Saul's side, had David killed, been king, or he could have sided with David and had his father, Saul, killed and still been like the number two guy in the kingdom, which is pretty good. 
But Jonathan is the hero in these chapters because not only is he faithful to David, he's still faithful to his father as well. Uh, and Jonathan ends up dying because of his loyalty. Does that remind you of anyone? Dying for his friends, giving up everything to benefit his friends at tremendous cost to himself. In John chapter 15, Jesus says these famous words. He says, greater love has no one than this than someone laid on his life for his friends. David was saved by Jonathan's sacrificial friendship. Today, you can be saved by Jesus' sacrificial friendship. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus saves you through friendship. How so, right? Well, look at how vulnerable and faithful Jesus is. Not only does Jesus know you through and through, he knows every bit of your garbage. He knows it more than you do. He knows all our sin, our secrets, and our shame. Uh, But yet Jesus allowed himself to be arrested, wrongfully accused, beaten, mocked, spit on, stripped naked, put up on a cross, had a spear put into him, and crucified. Jesus' hands aren't just open to you and generous, they were nailed wide open. Jesus is, is vulnerable, but see just how faithful he is. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's arrested, he says, Father, if there is any way to do this besides going to the cross, let's do that. So if there's any way to let this cup pass, please. But nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. And Jesus makes the point a few times. He says, at any point, I could just snap my fingers and these legions of angels would come and destroy his enemies and get him off the cross. Jesus is on the cross dying a slow, painful death for the sins of some of the people who actually put him on there. And the Bible says that everyone in human history who looks to him in faith will be forgiven and you'll have the friendship of him. Your sin was placed on Jesus if your trust is in him. And despite this pain and humiliation and being forsaken by the Father, Jesus stayed on the cross. Jesus is this friend who sticks, right? He, he gives up everything in order for the benefit of his friends. Just like Jonathan stripped himself of his royal robe and gave it to, to David, Jesus stripped himself of his robe and gives you his own righteousness. And what that means is that by faith, you have this perfect standing before the Father. Jesus gives up his throne so that you can have a place in God's family and a seat at his table. And when you accept the sacrifice of Jesus and you accept him as your friend, that will enable you to be a true friend to others. When you see Jesus being vulnerable for you, that's going to help you and I be vulnerable with our friends. When you see Jesus being constant and faithful to you at your worst, that's gonna help you not split and run when things get hard with your friends. So the question I wanna leave us this morning is do you know the friendship of Jesus? Do you know what he's done for you? Do you know how deeply he not only knows you and knows you at your worst, but how much he loves you to the heights? This friendship of Jesus is yours by faith. It's an invitation, amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the friend uh, that sticks closer than a brother. Uh, We are often so fearful in our relationships to be known uh, and to know others deeply. So would you let us look to you, Jesus, the ultimate friend who knows us to our depths and loves us to the heights. Uh, Help us to be vulnerable. Help us to be aware of our own sin, our shortcomings, and not judge others when they are vulnerable with us. Lord, again, we thank you for the friendship we have with you. I hope you're all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Loves us to our depths and loves us to the heights. Uh, help us to be vulnerable. Help us to be aware of our own sin, our shortcomings, and not judge others when they are vulnerable with us.
Lord, again, we thank you for the friendship we have with you. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.